As the vine, I have brought forth a pleasant odor, and my flowers are the fruit of honor and riches. I am the mother of fair love and of fear and of knowledge and of holy hope. In me is all grace of the way and of the truth. In me is all hope of life and of virtue. Come over to me, all ye that desire me, and be filled with my fruits. For my spirit is sweet above honey, and my inheritance above honey and the honeycomb. My memory is unto everlasting generations. He that hearkeneth to me shall not be confounded, and they that work by me shall not sin. They that explain me shall have life everlasting. Words taken from Ecclesiasticus chapter 24, which is the lesson used for Our Lady's feast days. Now in our time... Ecclesiology, that is a true understanding of the nature of the Holy Roman Catholic Church, the mystical body of Christ, is under serious attack. It's being undermined. For some time now, we've been told various strange things about the church, even from those in rather high places in our own hierarchy, sad to say, things such as, well... The church, she has defects. Hmm. That she has made mistakes in the past that need to be apologized for. That she is still learning about herself. She's in a mode of self-discovery, self-awareness, self-realization. Or is evolving into something newer, heretofore not seen or known on the earth. That some sort of convergence is still ahead of us, whatever that means. Recently we heard that the church is, quote, dogmatic, self-engrossed, authoritative, sick institution. End quote. Hmm... Does this sound right to you? Does this sit well with your faith? We could also sadly recall a certain well-educated millionaire celebrity priest as he was leaving the priesthood said over and over for all to hear, the church never did anything for me. And the church was throwing him under the bus. The church... Hmm, does this ring true with you? What about those famous words of Pope Paul VI uttered in 1968? The church finds herself in an hour of anxiety, a disturbed period of self-criticism, or what would even be better called auto-destruction. It is almost as if the church were attacking herself. Pope Paul VI Now, all of these statements about the church, they should not be sitting well with you. They should not be sitting well with any of us. Although they may sound true of some individual member of the church, past or present, can they be said to hold for the church herself? Does she really have defects, make mistakes, throw people under the bus? 
Does she need to be apologized for? Can she attack herself or get sick? Is she in some kind of a, an evolutionary process toward a future convergence to some unknown omega point? Hmm. In this conference, hopefully to your edification and peace of soul, answers to these sorts of attacks on our Holy Mother, the Church, will be provided. In fact, it is my hope that you will learn how to answer these things yourself with some ease and accuracy. One of the easiest and best ways to do this is to turn to the Blessed Virgin Mary as the perfect image, the perfect type, the perfect member of the church. She is the neck of the mystical body through whom all graces flow from the head to the members, from the altar to the nave. There she is. She is the mother and the queen of the church. She is, as it were, the alpha and the omega of all that is of the church. All that it means to be the church. We can find it in Mary. Blessed Isaac of Stella, medieval, he comes to our aid with an important principle, still held very much today. He said, What is said in a universal sense of the Virgin Mother, the Church, is understood in an individual sense of the Virgin Mary. And what is said in a particular sense of the Virgin Mother Mary is rightly understood in a general sense of the Virgin Mother, the Church. When either is spoken of, the meaning can be understood of both almost without qualification. Let me repeat that. When either is spoken of, the meaning can be understood of both almost without qualification. Blessed Isaac of Stella, thank you. This means we can always check the soundness of our ecclesiology, that's our understanding of the church, with our Mariology, our understanding of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and vice versa. In perfect harmony with this principle is the 19th century Carmelite mystic, Blessed Francis Palau, on whom we are going to depend heavily today. He reflected on this connection and often experienced it in mystical transports. Thus, he spends some time explaining how the Blessed Virgin Mary is the perfect type and figure of the church, such that to see her is to see the church at once. To look upon her is to look upon the church and all that it means to be the church. Here's what he says. Whatever is said of Mary about perfection, purity, holiness, is fitting in a much more excellent and sublime way to be said of the church. Even more for the church than for Mary. Here's what he says in another spot. She, blessed Mary, is a clear mirror in which the Holy Church can be seen. Thank you, blessed Palau. Yet, at the same time, with the help of Our Lady herself, he goes to some pains to distinguish her from the church. Blessed Mary is the perfect type of the church, the perfect image of the church. She is its preeminent member, even its queen and mother, but she is not the church herself. 
Thus, Blessed Mary purposely keeps away from the Carmelite mystic for a time until he falls deeply in love with the mystical body, the bride of Christ, the bride of the priest. Lest he fall too deeply in love with the church's perfect mirror. Now, when the Blessed Mother appears to her saintly Carmelite, she says, Look well at me, and in me, and through me, you will know your beloved bride. I am the bright, pure mirror in which she is represented. I am not the final end of man's love, but I am a figure of the church, pure virgin and fruitful mother. So, this means Blessed Mary, the spotless mirror of the mystical body, helps us deepen our understanding and love for the Holy Church. Looking into this untarnished mirror, we can discover many things about our Holy Mother, the Roman Catholic Church, and vice versa. Again, as Blessed Isaac of Stella said so well, when either is spoken of, the meaning can be understood of both, almost without qualification. Now, with this principle in place, in our minds, let's look into this mirror of mirrors. Now, we know from the fathers and the doctors, as well as the clear and unequivocal teaching of the magisterium, that Our Lady is both virgin and mother. That she was virgin before, during, and after the miraculous birth from her side of our Lord Jesus and Christ, King, so too must the Holy Catholic Church be both virgin and mother, giving spiritual birth to all the children of God. Have you ever wondered then, have you not wondered at times why God did not just make the Christ from the slime of the earth as he did with Adam? Why not just start over? Just bring Christ up and make him perfect man. Why did he have to be born of a virgin? He had to fulfill scriptures. That's one of the reasons. But there's another reason. Because the church must be a mother. And so Christ, in order to be the firstborn of many brethren coming forth in the waters of baptism, had to be born of a virginal mother himself so that she could typify, represent, mirror the church. In this, we see then the connection between the mystical body and the Blessed Virgin helps us understand God's mysterious plan. There's a reason why the new Adam, Jesus Christ, was not just made from the slime of the earth. Now, let's get a little more serious. We know the blessed and ever-Virgin Mary is immaculate in her conception. She had no stain of original sin or any personal sin whatsoever over her entire life. St. Thomas Aquinas said of her, We should simply say that the Blessed Virgin committed no actual sin, either mortal or venial. And what the canticle says is fulfilled. You are wholly beautiful, my love, and without blemish. St. Augustine said, When there is talk of sin, I absolutely do not want Mary involved. St. Augustine. Pope Pius IX of happy and holy memory provides a list, quite a listing, from the fathers and the doctors of how Blessed Mary is, quote, 
immaculate in every respect, entirely spotless, removed from every stain of sin, all pure, all stainless, end quote. Now, using our principle, using our connection between ecclesiology and Mariology, how much more can we say the same of the church? Namely, that she is immaculate, spotless, without flaw or wrinkle. Not just in her conception from the side of Christ and her birth in the upper room, but throughout all time unto everlasting ages. Thus, St. Paul speaks of this to the Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church and delivered himself up for it, that he might sanctify it, cleansing it by the laver of water in the word of life, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, St. Paul, letter to the Ephesians. Glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. Now notice, there's no mention of defects in either the church or Our Lady. God forbid. That would be contrary to the scriptures, the fathers and the doctors and the ministerium. That would be heresy. Let's go to another point. Both the church and the Blessed Mary are mysterious and wonderful beyond all comprehension. Blessed Pope Pius IX speaks thus of Our Lady in his apostolic constitution defining her immaculate conception. Listen to these profound words. Far above all the angels and all the saints, so wondrously did God endow her with the abundance of all heavenly gifts poured forth from the treasury of his divinity that this mother, ever absolutely free of all stain of sin, all fair and perfect, would possess that fullness of holy innocence and sanctity than which, under God, one cannot even imagine anything greater." and which outside of God no mind can succeed in comprehending fully. Only God can understand the Blessed Mother. Pope Pius IX. He's saying that she is a mystery. In another place, the same pontiff states, God alone accepted, Mary is more excellent than all. And by nature, fair and beautiful, and more holy than the cherubim and the seraphim, to praise her, to praise her, all the tongues of heaven and earth do not suffice. Blessed Pope Pius IX, how much more of this is true of the church? The Christians of the first century said the world was created for the sake of the church. The church is the goal of all things. Is this not what is behind the saying of our Lord? The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The universe is made for the church, not the church for the universe. We're made for the church, not she for us. 
We hear an echo of this in Blessed Francis Palau's writings where he states, having conceived the plan, God uttered one word, and that word was the building of his church in the course of the centuries. All things are willed and permitted by God for the good of the church. The holy triumphant church is the end to whose glory everything and the entire universe are created. She is the mistress of the universe. All creatures serve her. Apart from her, there is no possible happiness. St. John of the Cross says the cosmos, the universe is a palace for the bride of Christ, the church. Wow. That's heavy duty. That's beautiful. Would we expect anything less of God for his church? For the mystical body of the Son of God. It's mystical. It's mysterious. We will never understand her. So wonderful is she. And this is why blessed Francis Palau, when he saw her, she was always veiled in mystery. His mystical transports. What does this say about her being self-engrossed institution? Having defects. Yes, true. She's very visible and has an institutional side to her, an institutional structure, just as Our Lady has a body to be seen. But how much more there is to both of them than these mere physical appearances? And how wrong to reduce Our Lady to a mere simple human instrument of God as the Protestants shamefully hold. Oh, God just found this woman and He just used her to bring forth His Son and He just let her go off on her own. As if the Son of God didn't want more for His mom. That's blasphemy, folks. To think like that. But the same is true of the church. It cannot be reduced to a mere human structure or institution. It is the mystical body of Christ that is the wonder of wonders in this universe. Now, the Blessed Virgin is also unique, singular, and perfect. Listen to the canticle of canticles speak so eloquently of her. One is my dove. My perfect one is but one. She is the only one of her mother, the chosen of her that bore her. Canticles. Now, Pope Pius IX teaches us that there is only one immaculate conception. Saying the church made it clear indeed that the conception of Mary is to be venerated as something extraordinary, wonderful, eminently holy, and here's the important part, and different from the conception of all other human beings. Now here's one obvious reason for those who think why evolution is erroneous. It's a pseudoscience. It's stuff of fables and myths. Think about it. If Adam evolved from lower species, 
that all the evolutionists hold, whether they're atheists or believers, they all have to hold it. Somehow Adam came from the brute animals. God intervened for some people. That's what they think. Called theistic evolutionists. So if he evolved from these lower species, that would require he be conceived in the uterus of some brute animal, correct? But since the commission of the original sin comes about after his birth, then he would have had to have been immaculately conceived. Now just wait a minute. Let's go back to Our Lady. She said it, Lourdes. She came to Bernadette. She made this beautiful sign with her hands. She says, I am the Immaculate Conception. I am. She defined herself. It's a heavy-duty statement she made. Was she telling the whole truth? Was there some other humans conceived in such a manner? Was Pope Pius IX correct in his teaching about the uniqueness of the Immaculate Conception? Think about it. Either the magisterium of the church, the church's perfect mirror, the Blessed Mother, either the magisterium and the church's perfect mirror, Our Lady, are wrong. Making lords a fraud. Or I tell you, evolution is a doctrine of devils. A myth, a fable. Now, is it by accident, is it by accident that the apparitions at Lourdes preceded Darwin by one year? Our Lady is speaking to us. Are we listening? She prepared us for this. Now, again, applying our principle, looking into the church's spotless mirror, we can easily see that the mystical body is one singular, unique, perfect and therefore, she's not evolving, folks. She's not processing. She's arrived. What is perfect does not evolve. There's no future convergence for the church. Just its final victory at the end of time. You can read about it in the last chapters of the Apocalypse. Now, in the Gospels, we also learn that Our Lady spoke seven times. We don't know all her words, but we know she spoke seven times. The number of perfection. This means the church, when speaking officially and authoritatively, speaks perfectly. Pope Pius XI taught, The church is the mystical body of Christ, the immaculate spouse of Christ, and consequently a most admirable mother and an incomparable and perfect teacher. Perfect. Pope Pius XI now, can she have taught something officially in the past that was not correct? Was she too harsh? Misjudged some heretic or schismatic? Does she really need to be apologized for? Again, this is the same as saying Our Lady did not speak perfectly, and we know that's not true. God told us in the gospel she spoke perfectly. Thus, the scriptures we heard at the start of this conference is applied to them both, the church and Our Lady. He that hearkeneth to me shall not be confounded. Listen to Blessed Francis Palau. 
You are all beautiful. Your clear, serene face reveals an intelligence so keen that neither the shadows of the night nor the darkness can hide any secret or mystery from you. On a path of self-discovery, nothing can be hid from her. However deep it may be, he says, your thoughts are always great, magnificent, and sublime. Your heart contains pure love and resides in it as fire in its own element. There's nothing in all your parts and members which is not perfect. And all the divine perfections together make you infinitely beautiful and lovable. Thank you, blessed Francis Palau. Very heartwarming. Now, over the course of her magnificent life, the sinless and most innocent mother of God received seven swords, right? Seven swords of sorrow through her immaculate heart and her soul. Although completely innocent and free of all blame and sin, she willingly embraced suffering. Likewise, the church, although perfect, sinless, and blameless, innocent, and most holy, has to follow in the path of her head... Right? Where the head is gone, the body must follow. And where's the head going? Calvary. So at times when Our Lady visits us, as she did at La Salette, Lourdes, Fatima, she looked very serious. She didn't smile very much. Sometimes not at all. She was even seen to weep. At times her statues are also found weeping, such as we have at Akita, Japan. How is this possible for one who is in heaven, glorified, the greatest of all the saints? Clearly, she is mirroring the church militant passing through a time of trial, a time when the sword of sorrow caused by heresy, apostasy, and most of all, sacrilege, are passing once again through her most sweet and tender heart. Does this evangelical seriousness and suffering of Our Lady of all ladies mean she's attacking herself? Hurting herself? On auto-destruction? Suffering from anxiety? That she is somehow sick due to her own fault? Again, perish the thought. These are not right. They're hateful to our faith and our piety. That which is perfect cannot fail in these ways from internal causes. Cannot fail at all. How much more is it true for the church? Now clearly, trying to put a happy face or some frivolous front upon the church in times of trial like this is offensive to God. That's why he's sending his mother weeping. It's offensive to our piety. And undermines the church's evangelical seriousness. People are going to hell like a snowflakes in a blizzard. It's very serious stuff going on. The church takes that seriously. Can you see Our Lady on Calvary at the foot of the cross smiling and laughing and putting on a false face as if all were okay? Such thoughts are ridiculous. They're offensive. Now, on the other hand, neither can we see her despairing there, shrieking in pain and contortions that display a deep sense of insecurity, anxiety, and a lack of understanding such that she starts to think 
that she's been lied to. Was she self-engrossed, filled with self-pity? No. And if you have one of those pictures, by the way, I've seen them where she's just incredible torments and just yelling and ah, take that and throw it out. That's not Our Lady. That's not Our Lady. That's a misrepresentation. It's false. She held everybody else up. If she weren't there, they wouldn't have been there either. No, none of these fit. Rather, what we find is that determination of one who bears the cross in silence and union with her holy Lord and King for the glory of God and the salvation of souls. We find the co-redemptor standing firm at her place. Thus, Benedict the 15th, Pope of Happy Memory, said, She offered her son so generously in sacrifice to satisfy the justice of God that it may be said with reason that she cooperated in the salvation of the human race along with Christ. St. Ambrose said, His mother stood before the cross, and while men fled, she remained undaunted. She did not fear the torturers. His mother offered herself to his persecutors. St. Ambrose, father of the church, how much more the church herself? Can this holiest of mothers, so interested in the salvation of souls, throw anyone under the bus? Can so courageous and unwavering a mother not know what she's about, suffer from doubts, anxieties? What nonsense! Enough! In the fullness of time, on March 25th, God the Holy Ghost overshadowed Blessed Mary, and the Word was made man. The same Holy Ghost came down again upon the Blessed Virgin at Pentecost, and she gave birth, as it were, to the visible church. And the mystical body came forth from the upper room to go out and make disciples in all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Now, St. Augustine taught, one possesses the Holy Ghost to the extent he loves the Church of Christ. Doctor of Grace, Father of the Church. One possesses the Holy Ghost to the extent he loves the Church of Christ. Now, in another place, he said, to receive the Spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Ghost. We must go to the body of Christ. Can we not say then, one possesses the Holy Ghost to the extent that he loves Blessed Mary and seeks her out? The Holy Ghost has shown that He is one to overshadow her. You come near her, you get overshadowed. Now think about it. A type and prefigurement of Our Lady found in the Old Testament is the Ark of the Covenant. When Moses was in need of strength and guidance, grace and courage, he would go and prostrate himself before the Ark. And God would come down in a cloud and give him aid. In a similar way, we could say one possesses the Holy Ghost to the extent he draws nigh unto the Ark of the Covenant. What does this say about those who claim to have the Holy Ghost to operate outside and apart from the Holy Catholic Church, apart from Our Lady? St. Augustine, he said, one possesses the Holy Ghost to the extent he loves the Church of Christ. Now, whatever spirit they're calling upon is not the same Holy Ghost we know that we have. If it's not the Holy Ghost, who is the very soul of the church, the Spirit of Christ, then it must be a disembodied spirit. 
These poor, deceived souls are calling upon a disembodied spirit, meaning it's probably from hell. Because if this were the Holy Ghost, our Lord said he would fulfill the words, the paraclete, the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your mind whatsoever I have said to you. One of these things taught by the Christ is that his mystical body is built on St. Peter. And his body is inescapably hierarchical in nature. In arrangement. It cannot be denied. So on Pentecost, as the neck of the mystical body, that's Our Lady, Blessed Mother, she was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost, and she gave birth, as it were, to the hierarchy of the church without entering into it. She was subject to them. Dependent upon them, clearly shown by the fact she went to Holy Mass offered by St. Peter or St. John and received Holy Communion from them. Even though the Holy Ghost that they received came through her. Thus the church ordains, gives birth to, as it were, priests and bishops in order to govern her, to take the place of Christ ahead in the church on earth, to feed and guide and protect her members. Thus, blessed Francis Palau at times saw the church as a most beautiful bride kneeling down at the foot of the altar begging for a blessing from the priest calling him father. Now, all of this militates strongly against the strange idea that there's going to be some future convergence of the Catholic Church with various rebellious, heretical, schismatical sects of Christianity that deny the primacy of the Roman pontiff. This is the first error of Russia. They split away from the church. They deny the Pope. We're not going to converge into some future unified, democratic, charismatic church heretofore not seen before. No. We have it all now in the Holy Roman Catholic Church. She alone is the perfect society defined to be so by the Pope's. She is the perfect society. What is perfect does not converge, evolve, change into something else. Again, St. Thomas comes to our aid and he teaches us, we are not to look forward to a state wherein man is to possess the grace of the Holy Ghost more perfectly than he has possessed it hitherto. Especially the apostles who received the first fruits of the Spirit That is, they received him sooner and more abundantly than others. There's not going to be some future age where we're going to have a load of the Holy Ghost come upon us. New church. A new Pentecost. Blessed Francis Palau. Mary is not only the most perfect type and figure possible of the church, but she is the most powerful mediatrix. In other words, she's the neck of the church. The connection between the head and the body, the head and the heart, the altar and the nave. All the power to conquer the world, the flesh, and the devil flows through her. She fulfills the words of the canticle of canticles, fair as the moon, bright as the sun, terrible as an army in array in battle. Wow. Since blessed Mary is the mediatrix of all grace, how much more the church, without which there is no grace. 
No forgiveness of sins. No salvation. No victory. See, they go together. Blessed Isaac of Stella comes to our aid. The church is incapable of forgiving any sin without Christ. And Christ is unwilling to forgive any sin without the church. Christ will not forgive the sin of one who despises the church. What God has joined together, man must not separate. This is a great mystery, but I understand it as referring to Christ and the church. He quotes St. Paul. Will Christ, we ask, will Christ forgive any sins of those who despise the Blessed Virgin Mary? Will he hear the prayers of those who militate against the church in any way? Those who hate her holy mass? Mock her rituals and teachings and trample them underfoot? Make a mockery of them in the media? Blame her for their own miseries? Is there any salvation in any other religions at all? No! She's it. If anyone's going to be saved, it's through the church. The church alone with Blessed Mary as the neck is the sole mediatrix of all grace. Now, our lady encompassed the God-man, the Word incarnate, in her womb. In her was all truth. Thus, we read in the lesson on our special feast days, I am the mother of knowledge. In me is all grace of the way and the truth. In me is all hope of life and of virtue. Come over to me, all ye that desire me, and be filled with my fruits. So too the church is where Christ deposited the faith in its entirety. She possesses truth in its fullness, and it is her role to preserve this truth from all error. No wonder then, it is Our Lady, the perfect type and mirror of the church, who keeps us from all error. She's called the hammer of heretics. She's so successful. All who fall away from Our Lady fall away from truth. All who fall away from the church leave off devotion to Mary. All who come to the church to remain develop a devotion to Blessed Mary. Thus the saying of St. Cyprian, No one can have God as father who does not have the church as mother. This is also symbolized in the struggle that took place during the time of Our Lady's apparitions at Lourdes. Every conceivable power came up against her in an attempt to suppress the lady in the grotto. First, there were the devils rising up in the river Gob and making an outcry, get out of here. And Our Lady looked at them and down they went. Then the city leaders, the police chief, the imperial prosecutor, the mayor, the scientists, the journalists, the scoffers, pretenders, mockers, and sham artists, even the priests and the bishop, the sisters, the schoolmates, the family and the relatives, friends and foes alike all took turns. Psychology failed, trickery and bribery failed, the emperor gave way to, the state bowed down, each and all were utterly vanquished. The lady beat them all. In the Song of Bernadette, we read this telling scene of one good man speaking to a scoffing worldly poet as he was leaving Lourdes to return to Paris. In saying goodbye to him, the scoffing poet said, You have the lady to thank for this, my friend. She has put me to flight. 
He responded, why the lady? I can't see what harm she's done you. Harm? It seems to me the lady is of most tyrannical disposition. She demands that one take a decisive stand for or against her. Well said. There it is. The Blessed Mother was given power to crush the head of the dragon and all the enemies of the church. In the end, we cannot help but be for her or against her. How much more the church, the city of God, in the end? We're either in the city of God, we're for her, or we're against her. Does this not touch on why she came to us at Fatima in such a clear and decisive way as the woman clothed with the sun, working undeniable miracles, such as opening the ground for the children to look upon the depths of hell? Commanding the sun to come down from the heavens to dance in the sky at her command before 70,000 people? The children noted carefully how the power to do these things flowed from her hands. In her most grave messages to these children, she referred to herself saying, Only she can help you. Only she can help you. Applying this principle, are the, only the church and her most lovely and potent neck can help us be saved and overcome all evils that confront us in this world. And she has helped us. She's won victory after victory for the church down through the centuries, especially through praying of the Most Holy Rosary, including spiritual victories over heresy as well as military victories over the Muslims. Against all odds, Catholic forces routed the Muslims time and time again on the sea and on the land. Something like nine million human-sacrificing, devil-worshipping Aztec Indians converted after she visited Mexico in December 1531. She has proven only she can help you. St. Louis de Montfort comes to our aid. He spoke of this when he prophesied, the power of Mary over all devils will be particularly outstanding in the last period of time. She will extend the kingdom of Christ over the idolaters and Muslims. And there will come a glorious era when Mary is the ruler and queen of hearts. This is why the future age of peace of the church will also be called the age of Mary, the triumph of Mary's immaculate heart. Although we could go on and say much more, are we not convinced that Our Lady is the Alpha and the Omega of what it means to be the church? Listen to Blessed Francis Plow again. All that is preached and told about the glories of Mary can all be said in a more sublime way about the Holy Church. God has ordained that in the purity, virginity, and motherhood of Mary, this miserable world should see the purity, virginity, and motherhood of the Holy Church. Anyone who wants to know what it means to be a perfect member of Christ, look to Blessed Mary and you will find it. They go together. Now, keeping this in mind will preserve us from the errors of ecclesiology that are floating around in these times. Now, with the help of a few popes of happy and holy memory and blessed Palau, let us see what can be said of those who misrepresent the church or speak ill of her. As sadly has been happening quite a bit of late over the last few decades. Now, Pope Pius IX, here's what he says. 
Although one of the church's marks is holiness, because she is holy in her founder, she is holy in her teaching, holy in the sanctity of a great many of her members, nonetheless, she has also within her bosom many members who are not holy, who afflict and persecute and misjudge her. Pope Pius IX. There's many in her who are not holy, who afflict and persecute and misjudge her. May we never be counted among them. True devotion to the Immaculate Virgin will prevent this from happening. Let's go to Pope Pius XII. He said, Certainly the loving mother is spotless in the sacraments by which she gives birth to and nurses her children. In faith, she's spotless in which she is always preserved inviolate. She is spotless in her sacred laws imposed on all, in the evangelical councils which she recommends, in those heavenly gifts and extraordinary graces through which, with inexhaustible fecundity, she generates a host of martyrs, virgins, and confessors. But, here it is, it cannot be laid to her charge if some members fall weak or wounded. It cannot be laid to her charge if some members fall weak or wounded. Listen to Blessed Francis Palau draw this out very beautifully in his discussion with the church. I looked carefully at each part to see if there was any disproportion. He's looking at the church. Is there any disproportion, blemish or defect? But my heart, wounded by her presence, repeated, you are all beautiful, all lovely. There's no stain, blemish or imperfection at all. Then he asked the church, does not sin disfigure your members? The church responds in the person of a beautiful young virgin who is mysterious and veiled. Sin does not belong to me. Anything unclean upon this earth is not mine. It belongs to mankind. And uh, he asks, are not the people by chance parts of your body? She responds, Through what they have and have received from God, they are flesh of my flesh and members of my body. But anything which is culpable in them belongs to them and to the devil. He asks, have you always been all beautiful? She says, and I shall be always and always virgin. Think of Calvary. Our Lord looked like sin, being all beaten up and crucified between two thieves. But he was always innocence itself. So to the church at this point of a great crisis in history may look like sin, but it is not so. Therefore, we must make a distinction between the church and her sinful members and their actions. They must never be laid to the church, which is being done. Why is that being done? One wonders. Maybe they want to make the church just a natural, simple, human institution that can be democratized, that her hierarchy can be taken away, and so she can be converged with some other groups and made into a new thing. God forbid. I think you are now equipped to deal with all the false assertions about our Holy Mother, the church, that are floating around today. But we ask one last thing. Why are these happening? Blessed Francis reports, the church is saying, I am always before mortal men, just like any person before a mirror. A 
I'm always present. You can't miss me. He who does not love me or believe in me is full of impurity, covered with layers of dirty earth, and this dirt prevents my being seen. When an official of the French army asked St. Bernadette once whether she feared an invasion of the Prussians, which were surrounding Paris nearby, she responded, I only fear bad Catholics. He responded, don't you fear anything else? No, nothing. I only fear bad Catholics. Let us conclude this conference with these edifying words of Blessed Francis Palau. During the last days of her life, the seraphic mother, St. Teresa of Jesus, at last exclaimed with great confidence, I am a daughter of the church. At this tender Most sweet mother, the church, opened her arms, received her into her bosom, a daughter who had been faithful during this miserable life. In this embrace, the human seraph found her eternal repose that she now enjoys in heaven. How sweet, how pleasant, how delightful must be the repose in a virgin mother's arms. And how pure is the triumphant church after horrible agitations, disorder, and convulsions of the present life. Think it well, wayfaring and pilgrim man on earth. Do not escape the church. Do not avoid her presence. Believe what this loving and sweet mother tells you. Put your hope in her. Love her and find in her bosom the happiness that you seek. There is no salvation without her. Outside her arms, you will find frightening convulsions and horrible torments that last eternally. Thank you, blessed Francis Palau. Truly, only she can help you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.